Welcome to Deep Natter. In this episode, we're talking about the importance of ritual in making and how various rituals, both conscious and subconscious, appear in our lives. We also talk about the value of creating the mental space for the actual doing and how carving out quiet time can help our creativity to find its way into the world. Here we go. Kind of it, I'm kind of winding the year down now. Yeah. I feel like, uh, it's funny, how we, I, I think, I don't know how you feel, but like, I think creative stuff as well has kind of seasons to it. And something about sort of going into like winter now and long dark days, because I've moved further north now as well, it's like, it'll get dark at sort of four in the afternoon for the next good month or two. Oh, wow. And sort of it that gets, early. Wow. Yeah. And it only gets light in the morning at about like sort of, I would say, getting on for eight o'clock so it's um it's like short daylight hours but i kind of like it because it's i've got enough images for the for my book next year already i've got way too many which is good so i'll have a nice selection for the book i might do one more video Uh, i'll do one this weekend then one more in december at some point but i've i just feel like i need to give myself a proper break you know like a like a few weeks break where i'm not doing anything um, right. will feel quite nice because the problem with like freelancing is you're always on you know you're always doing something yes. you don't take proper yes. <laughs> time for yourself you know? we have had many discussions about this yeah Adrian well, and I <laughs> yeah because when you have a job it's weird isn't it because weekends are weekends when you have a job so you work right. a lot during the week and it might be long hours but you know when you wake up on a Saturday and a Sunday you can do whatever you want it's your time but when you freelance, you have to you have to make sure to do that because I'll work all weekend as well if I'm not doing anything else. Right. Why is that? Is it that you feel pressure or do you feel anxiety if you're not working? Because I've heard a variety of answers from different types of freelancers around this. Yeah, I think I've got like a I definitely got a like a guilt thing that happens. You know, yeah. but that might be my personality, but, but I, you know, I feel guilty if I stay in bed too late and by, if I'm still in bed at nine o'clock, I feel like I've wasted a day and I'm berating myself for wasting a day, you know, and I'm forcing myself to get up. So on a weekend, I can't just relax and binge watch three movies in a row and then go back to bed. I just feel like I've, I've wasted a day. I could have done something productive. And because it's such a fine line between what I love to do and what I make money doing, it means that. I'm always working in a way. So e- right. even if even if I've got a day off and I'm I'm like oh I won't do anything, I'll still drive somewhere and take photographs and those photographs p- would potentially go in the book and it's fun. I am having fun. But the minute I'm doing that, I'm also thinking oh where do these fit and I am starting to think about the job of it. And I'm not letting myself just make things for fun or just relax. Like it's very hard to kind of section up your life in a way that gives you good good seasons and good breathing space when you need it. You know, you have to get really deliberate about it as someone who freelances, I think. So yeah, it's tricky. It's, I find that really hard, which is why I think I need to do the second half of December. I think I just want to, I think I just want to close everything down hmm. and pick it up next year and give myself a good two week yeah. holiday. Yeah. Would be a good thing to do. Do you have, uh, in addition to sort of a seasonal rhythm, do you have a daily, what do they call it? A circadian rhythm? Are, are you more creative or engaged or, or sort of lit up in, in daylight hours or do you come on at night? I mean, I know that 
photography by and large, you know, you've got to be awake and, and working during the day. But in terms of writing or, or your, your creative thought process, is that daylight as well? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a daytime working person. I don't really get a lot done in the evenings. Um, I'm probably a morning person. I probably get the most done in the mornings. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's always like, for me, it's like if I can get a lot done first thing in the day, then I can sort of back it off in the afternoon. I was never one of these, like, you know, you talk about high school or university, you know, you do your assignment last minute, people. I, I, I had everything done early. So if oh, something went wrong, me. I had time to do it. Oh, gee, <laughs> no. I was, I, I could not do that last minute mentality. It, that stresses me out. Yeah. So I think the way I do it is like, I have, I have like a little list in my head when I go to bed the night before of stuff I need to do the next day. And I'm fairly well planned out in advance. I've got things structured and I'll try get it done in the morning if I can. Yeah. Because then if I do decide to do something else in the afternoon, I know I can give myself the freedom to do it. No guilt. It's guilt management is actually what it is. It's guilt management. <laughs> it has, has nothing to do with creativity. It isn't nothing at all. It's, it's literally like, how do I avoid my own dictatorial boss in my head? Who's going to give me a hard time. So if I get stuff done earlier, it means that when I do just sort of get to do something for myself in the afternoon, I don't have to feel bad about it. So that's, that's kind of how I try and structure things like daily. How about you? You know, it's changed actually. I mean, I, I used to be very much a night owl. I mean, I would be up until two, three in the morning every day. Um, wow. And somewhere along the way, I don't know, 10 years ago or so that, that started to change. But I've had, I've had some rumblings about maybe wanting to change things up for, for an upcoming project and see whether and to what degree the time of day influences how I work on it. Oh, interesting. D did you ever uh, know a comedian named Dave Attell? Was he big in, oh, yeah. in the UK? He's not big here, but I, kn I know who he is from because I listen to a lot of comic podcasts. Yeah. He is like the comedian's comedian. That yeah, dude, yeah. yeah. So he used to have a show here in the States called Insomniac. And he would, he would go to different cities and basically just wander the streets from sundown to sunup and have these random encounters with people and whoever he met, he would talk to and they would, oh, you got to go to this thing and you got to meet this person. And, and he just got himself into all of these just completely surreal situations um, mm. in cities all across America. And I've always loved the idea of being awake and in motion when most of the rest of the city where I'm at is asleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I had, the, I had an idea for a photo project where I wanted to go to different diners and donut shops and things like that, but I couldn't, I, I gave myself the, the, the obstacle that I couldn't get there before midnight. So somewhere between midnight and three, four in the morning, that's when, when this project would have to take place and just see who you run into and, and what kind of conversations do you have and, and what are people doing? What are they thinking about? Are they getting off work? Are they waiting to go to work? Do they just have nowhere else to go or they need to get out of the house or wh whatever it is? I thought it might be an interesting chance to, to have some different kinds of conversations and possibly meet up with different kinds of people who are awake and out while the rest of us are normally asleep. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the opposite end of that. Like I am, I'm in bed by 10 most nights. Yeah. Like I'm a quite early to bed person. I, I am now. Is that, is that anything to do with getting married for you? I think that's part of it because Adrian doesn't really stay up late, you know, mm -hmm. partially because she gets up really early to, 
you know, help Sylvia when, when Sylvia's here to get her sort of up and out the door and off to school and all that. Um, mm. But she's also just kind of a morning person. She's not a late night person. And mm. I've, I've learned to not really be a late night person. And I do appreciate it. I'm getting great sleep. I get consistent sleep. Um, yeah. You know, but starting probably in college, you know, I was up all hours of the night. I would get three or four hours of sleep a night because I was either working at my job or I was working on the shows because I was a theater major. So you'd, you'd crew the shows. The, crew, the, the show doesn't get done until, you know, 11, 11.30 midnight. And then everybody would often go hang out somewhere after the show. And, you know, you don't get home until three or four in the morning and grab a couple hours sleep. And then you're up and out the door to class the next day. And I did that for three and a half years. Yeah, um, yeah. And it just sort of stuck, you know, staying up that yeah. late and working or not working, just being up and watching movies or, or you know, reading or trying ideas, like whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but I'd kind of like to give myself a, a task to try that for, you know, a couple of weeks or a month or something and see what kind of work comes out of it and to see whether interrupting what's now become my, my earlier rhythm or pattern does that have a positive or negative effect on the work that I produce? It's a really cool idea. When, when do you think your most productive time of the day is? Hmm. Probably late morning these days. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I'm up and, you know, we get up, we get coffee, we walk the dog, you know, get the girl out to, to school. And Adrian's usually eight thirty nine o'clock she's starting her day, um, you know, telework. And I, you know, often will read the news or, or just sort of get my social media or online time kind of out of the way. And yeah. usually nine thirty, ten o'clock, I'm, I'm into something, whatever that may be, whether it's writing or, or editing one of the shows or, or something. So usually mid morning has, has, that's been really good for me lately, but I don't know. I, I, I'd kind of like to see what happens at night. You know, I used to go for walks a lot at night too, when, you know, everybody was asleep and I, I really love the quiet and the emptiness of where I lived at the time, uh, when it was, you know, one, two, three in the morning. Yeah. I've done that for different periods of my life, but it's always pretty dark times if I'm doing that. So uh, emotionally like a, dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I have things to work through. Hmm. Like if if I'm if I'm sleeping well, things are good. If I get into bed and I'm like I just I can't and I have to get up, get dressed again, and go on a long walk, it's just because I'm my. There's no way I will get to sleep that night unless I take those walks. So there've been some dark patches in my life where late night walks have kicked in, but I, they're never good memories because I was having to work through some difficult stuff. Hmm. Um, but it's a great way to do it because. I think something about walking around at night, um, it just feels a little, feels a little um, like a fantasy world, doesn't it? It's not, it's almost not real because yeah. it's, it's not the, it's not the world you're used to seeing every day. There are different people out and a lot less of them. Um, it's, it's, it might be cold. It might be, it's obviously dark, you know, that it's probably quieter if you're doing it late at night as well. And yeah, there's just something, um, it's it's like going for a walk in a world you don't really know, and, mm -hmm. and that I think helps you disconnect and and do different sorts of thinking, which is good. So yeah, none of it's none of it's good memories, but actually, 
I, it's been super helpful every time to kind of get through those difficult things. Hmm. So yeah, anytime I've done the late night walk stuff for extended periods, it's been processing, necessary processing stuff. How do you find like, um, do you have the same kind of annual rhythms? Do you, do you find like you're more creative different times of the year and you shut down other parts like creative hibernation kind of thing? Not really because I I'm anxious most of the time around the work. So, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, I, I always feel like I'm sort of behind the eight ball and I, Mm. I always feel like I haven't done enough. I don't know mm. what there is to do often. I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what I should, yeah, yeah. air quotes, be doing. I just know that I'm not doing enough of it, whatever it is. Mm. You know, and you and That's I have funny, talked about our consistent, my, well, not our consistency, but my consistency in terms of the things that I release. And I've fought against that for years, trying to be more consistent. And it's just not the way I work. It's, I have tried so many ways to, to be more consistent in how I output things, whether it's shows or art or, or writing or whatever it is. And it's just, there is no cracking it. It, my rhythm is what it is. I work in fits and starts, no matter what it is we're talking about. What's the struggle there, do you think? I don't know that it's necessarily, I mean, it, it, I guess like, the outward appearance is a struggle. I, I guess what, what, there's an expectation. I feel like there's an expectation you feel like you're trying to meet for yourself. Um, who, who, who put that expectation on you? Is that something you want to do or just the way you know things should work or you feel like it's the way things should work, putting things out regularly? I think it's a combination. You know, when we've talked about, you know, getting eyes on work or growing an audience yeah. or any of the things that, that, especially as a freelance maker or creative you're trying to do, you, you don't have the luxury of, of punching into a creative job every day and somebody giving you a brief and going, oh, okay, here's what I have to do today. So it, it's almost like there, there's a little bit of Groundhog Day in there where every day starts the same and you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what do I need to do to make this different? What do I need to do to move this a little further Otherwise, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be in exactly the same spot I'm in right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the, the, the pressure has been, for me, it's been twofold. It's been the expectation I put on myself. And then it's the expectation that I put on to an audience. And I'm generally disappointed in both. But they're both, both, both of those dis disappointments are tied to me not producing consistently. And you can't really be angry at an audience for wanting to get regular updates of that thing that they like, that thing that they have subscribed to, that thing that they have, by subscribing, told you, hey, I want this on the reg. You know, I, I want to yeah. get this thing, whatever it is, whether it's a newsletter or a podcast or a television show or whatever it is. Um, so I can't fault them for that. But at the same time, and I know this doesn't make any sense, and, and maybe if, if folks are listening, this resonates with you. At the same time, I'm angry at them for wanting that consistently because, you know, I'm an artist or whatever. Like, I, I can't, yeah, I'm not yeah. a dancing monkey for you. But the minute you put something out and say, hey, I'm going to do this daily, weekly, monthly, annual thing, you are a dancing monkey because you've set an expectation for those people who you want to enjoy and receive and share and pass along to their friends that work. 
So it, it's, that's the struggle. It's a, it's a struggle of expectation yeah. more than anything else. It's, it's kind of easy to sort of say like, well, you know, why do people want stuff consistently? I'm an artist. I create when I feel like it. But when we flip it around and ask ourselves, honestly, who are the artists we keep up with regularly and follow it? It is the ones who put out. Absolutely. Consistent work. I mean, even those of us who go, why do people want stuff consistently? I'm an artist. We're exactly the same in that we don't subscribe to other people. And, and if they stop producing stuff for six months and then start again, we might not dip back in because we kind of, they're out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. And they're not on our radar. And that's just how the human mind works. So I think fighting against it, the practical side of fighting against it is a little bit of a waste of time. It's because it is just basic psychology. Um, but you, but it sounds like you've come I and when we chatted before, like it sounds like you've come up with a quite a nice solution for it though. I think so. I mean, I hope so. And it's, it's embracing. And I've started, I've been starting to do this over the past several months and it's really just embracing the way I work. And, you know, with regard to the shows, process driven specifically, I mean, that's really the only show other than this show that I'm, that I'm putting uh, a lot of energy into at the moment. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what blue is the collar looks like in, in, this still sort of half in half out lockdown COVID situation. I'm not sure how that, how that works right now. Um, but in terms of process driven, it's never been consistent. I mean, I, I recorded the first episode of process driven in 2011, 2012, and we're only on, I don't know, 48, 49, something like that. Not a lot of episodes. I mean, I'm no Ibarian X Perello. In terms of, you know, he's a machine. He is a, a yeah. wonderfully prolific and consistent creator. And I, I envy that about him. I, well, I envy a lot of things about him. But that in particular, he's relentless in, in chasing after consistency. And I, I really appreciate that. I will never, ever be like that. So what I think I've decided works for me and what I have started to put into place now and, you know, have reached out to a number of people to try and get them on the calendar is to record eight, 10, 12 shows in a block and then trickle them out weekly or biweekly or whatever it is. And then, you know, take a break from that, move on to a painting project or a writing project or some other project to sort of let the, to let me miss recording PD again. And yeah. instead put my energy into something else and then go back and record more episodes and put my energy into that so that then I miss painting or writing or whatever it is. So I'm always in a state of missing one of the things that I love doing. And I think that might work for me, to be honest with you. Yeah, because it sounds like you work in um, blocks. Yes. Uh, where you give all your attention and energy to one thing for an extended period of time and then you completely switch, you, you, you change gear. So like last, last year I watched you like go through a really kind of furtive creative block with painting, like, mm -hmm. a, like where you cranked out a ton of work in a short space of time over a couple of months. Yep. Um, yeah. And then I had to stop. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then maybe because, yeah, I think maybe then you kind of saturated and you need to do something else and like refresh those ideas and then go and record some podcast episodes for a while. But it sounds like you found a nice balance where you can, record in blocks the way your creative mind works but then release on a schedule in like drip feed it out so it has some consistency in the release so you're kind of winning on both sides i hope so and again this is this is all on the back of these things that 
I feel like these conversations that we've been having these last several episodes have been chapters in a larger conversation because they're all linked in some way, right? And I think this is something that we started talking about really in probably 16 or 17 um, mm. d- directly. I mean, it's, it's in everything, but directly in 16 or 17. And it, it all led and, and has been building toward that, look, I need to do something differently. In fact, I probably need to do several things differently to really be satisfied creatively and to be satisfied in terms of, of, of the business side of it, right. Of the, the entrepreneurial side of it. And, um, you know, for a long time, I, 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 like many makers, creators, artists, whatever term you decide to, to use for yourself, entrepreneur and business, those are, those are dirty words. We don't like those words, accounting, invoicing. We don't like any of that. We like, we like the making part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the bigger part of being, especially a freelance maker, marketing, hustling, you know, like all of these things that we think are yeah. icky, they're necessary. And doing them well, in many cases, is what separates those who can do these types of things for a living and those who are doing other things for the living and the creative portion is a side hustle. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I mean, we talked about this a few episodes ago, didn't we? We were sort of saying um, every artist wants to make things, but then they just want the world to discover them right. really easily. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to make any effort. And hey, do you make something exactly. cool? I'd like to come in and look, yeah. you know. <laughs> Can I give you some money for, because I've heard you're super No, 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 no. You, so. you can't give me any money. Just take what yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. And I apologize for... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it, we do forget, like, it's all, it's all those things we've talked about. You have, to, you have to teach yourself how to market yourself, to build yourself an audience that you can sell the things you make to. I'm sorry that that sounds icky to you or like you're compromising, but that, that's the reality. If you know a way around that, please tell me, because I've looked for yeah. it for a, a decades. I can't find it. I'm responsible for building my own audience of people who are interested in the things that I make. I can't expect someone else to do that, and I can't be bitter that no one comes to me if I make no effort to do that. That's just part of the job. And then like you say, all the kind of the, the, yeah, the, the money stuff and, and the self-discipline stuff. I mean, giving yourself a schedule, giving yourself working hours if you're bad at that kind of stuff. I mean, I love this idea when you were sort of building out your studio space, you found an old punch card machine. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this idea. Do you want to say, let me know. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You had this idea of just going like, well, I'm, I'm going to use this super old punch card machine and just punch in for my working hours so that it gives me a physical, I love that idea, a physical way of saying now is working time and then punch it again. Now is when I clock off. Yeah. And it's, it, it, what a lovely idea. Like, I feel like every creative needs a punch card machine, like an old school. Now I'm working to chink. Now I'm, now I'm going off and I'm, I'm, I'm finished with it for that to chink like that, that kind of like. Just some deliberate ritual. I mean, I even used to have in uh, when I was back in London, I used to, because when I was working in corporate environments, um, in full-time jobs, obviously the beginning and end of the day were commutes, uh, usually an hour, often an hour plus on either end of the day. But obviously freelancing, th- th- these were the adjustments I had to make. Freelancing, I'm like, okay, I just wake up and I'm in my house and now I have to start working. So I'd, I'd, I would have a commute. I'd take myself for a, at least a half hour walk. 
to say, this is the thing I do before I walk into my working space. And I mean, it wasn't ideal in the old place I lived because literally my office was also my lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, I mean, that's not the best because you don't get to separate out space. Now I'm a lot more lucky I've got an office right. space. Um, but just just being able to go for a walk, walk back in, Okay, that's my commute. Now I sit down and work. And then I had to teach myself things. Like I think in um, uh, the working environment, I, I would walk in and I'd sit down and then I would do emails for ages or wait for stuff. And then if nothing was happening, I kind of wait for stuff to come in, you know, because I was always the photography video guy. I kind of worked on what people's needs were. I, I didn't generate my own work. Um, and I, I sat for the first for the first good few months of, of, of leaving that full-time work and going into freelancing, I sat staring at my computer almost all day and then wow. having to go take photos after working hours because in my head, sitting in front of a computer screen, this is what you get trained to, to think when you work in jobs like that, is when a company gives you a full-time salary, they're paying you to sit and stare at a screen for eight hours a day. That's what right. they pay you for. And if you're doing that, it doesn't really matter if you've got Facebook on the corner because no one's checking. But as long as they look over and they see you staring at a screen, it looks like you're working, they're happy that they're paying you. But don't stand up and walk around and talk to people or go out and do other stuff. And I had to train myself out of this stupid mentality that staring at a computer screen equals work and go, hang on. I'm a photographer. This is my job now. And I sell a book of photography every year. So what was fun to go out and take photographs and what felt like goofing off is now my job. So I had to switch and go, okay, I'm going I'm to check emails first thing in the morning and then get it done within an hour. Then I can go out and take photographs. And that is not play anymore. It's work. And, you know, hopefully it's both, but it is work. And I had to get out of this stupid office mentality and into like, productive freelance mentality, which is, which was quite a shift. It took a while. Yeah. I think, you know, we underestimate the influence and power that ritual positive and negative has on how we go about our days. Do you have any rituals? Like I do. I mean, like when, when I, you know, you mentioned the, the punch card and I don't, I don't use the punch card currently, but I do have my apron that hangs on the back of my door. And when I go down into the studio, you know, it's, it's this scene, it's, it's Mr. Rogers, right? When Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. came in, mm-hmm. he would change his shoes and he would take off one sweater and put on the other sweater. And now he wasn't Fred Rogers. He was Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I do that same thing when I go down into the studio, I, you know, I have my coffee, I grab my, my apron, I put on my apron, I put on my music and I get to work. And when I come up out of the studio, even if it's just to have lunch, I'll take off my apron, I'll hang it on the back of the door. So now I'm, I'm back up and out of work mode. I'm trying to, trying to train myself to value and maximize the time that I have when I'm down there. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a place for making. It's a place for, for, for doing. And I may not be really productive, but the smell of the paint the, the, the feeling of dried paint on my, on my apron, or I, I have special painting. They're not special. They're just dirty pants. Um, but they're, they're covered in paint. And I put those on in addition to, you know, when I, before I go down there, I'll put the, I'll change into those and then go put my apron on. So I feel like a painter. I feel like I should be making, there's a physiology that, that, that I think I, I am associating with making in addition to a mentality or, or, you know, a mental state. You've got work clothes. 
That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I do. And, and it goes back to, you know, when it goes back to childhood, really. You know, I remember very clearly when my grandfather would go out to the garage, he would put on his coveralls and they were these sort of uh, denim, um, uh, faint stripes on them, vertical stripes. They were from JCPenney. I remember that very clearly because oh, yeah. I would go with him when he had to replace them. And then I watched my father adopt that same ritual whenever my dad would go out to the garage to work, you know, on engines or whatever it was, he would get into his coveralls and, and put on his work boots and out to the garage he would go. And when he came back in, he would get out of those things before he came in the house and come back in the house. So there was, there was a, a physical change from one mode to the other that I think helped solidify what it was, what it was that you were meant to do in that space, in those clothes. Yeah. And it's, it's like setting an intention, isn't it? Because you're not going to put those on, go work for five minutes and take them off. It's like, I'm doing this for the next while. Right. So like just changing clothes or, or doing something to your space that says I'm, I'm here for the next few hours and this is what I'm doing. I think is a really good discipline, whatever yeah. you do. Yeah. And I, I respond to ritual very well. I mean, I always have since I was a kid, we, you know, when I was very young and I'm talking five, six, seven, eight in those years, my, my mom's best friend was uh, a very devout Catholic. Uh, and so we would go to Catholic mass with her and it was all in Latin. And I had no idea what they were saying, but I remember being very struck by the ritual of it, the sit, the kneel, the stand, you know, I'm going to turn yeah. here. I'm going to do this. And the, you're watching the priest go through these same motions week after week after week, saying the same things week after week after week. And I found comfort in that. I found solace in that. Um, it's yeah. the same reason I, I am, I'm fascinated by, you know, Judaism or, or Hindu, mm -hmm. um, religions or, or ideologies where there is ritual, I find comforting for some reason. I don't know why I always have. Yeah, as I get older, I get it more, you know, uh, I think, I think when I started working for the church, I railed against every, hmm. um, like every, everything you were supposed to do, every, every liturgy, every ritual they, they put, because I, because I basically looked after young adults and teenagers. Right. And when you force somebody to do a ritual, telling them it's supposed to mean X, Y, or Z, but to them, it's really alien and foreign. I just don't think it's a nice way to treat people, but for people who those rituals do mean something to, and it's usually older people, like back half of life people, like that's, I mean, I've, st I've started attending, a, well, not attending, I I've been to a couple of services at a, a church around here as part of this project that I'm doing to sort of meet people and get to know people and sat through a few services. Um, and it has been quite interesting because it is it is obviously an older crowd in that church. I'm, I'm probably the youngest by 20 years, but... Mm. It's, uh, it, it, you can tell how much it means to them, how much comfort it brings them and familiarity and stability and community doing those things that way every week, like walking back in and look, I'm a, I'm, I'm technically a member of the clergy. It's an uncomfortable space for me to sit in because I don't know their particular, you know, list of what happens when, because I was in a different tradition and right. And uh, I, I can feel how uncomfortable it would be for someone to walk in who doesn't know what that space is about or what those rituals actually mean. But when you dig 
a little deeper and you understand what it means to those people, you can see how beautiful it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the same. I don't, I don't like, I don't like how easy it is to poke fun at religion in a way, because. What do you mean? Well, it's just, it's a soft target, isn't it? I mean, it's very easy to go look at those stupid people who believe in magic and go there every week and, you know, bow in front of things and say the same stuff in like monotone and unison, like they're so brainwashed. But I saw, I mean, I saw in Africa how much ritual meant to to people who had very little. Mm-hmm. And that to me was incredibly moving and meaningful. Like, and it's not, you know, you, people have their own beliefs and some of them believed those things very, very literally. And look, I don't necessarily align with that, but, um, and so, and some of them held those beliefs very, very loosely, but just found comfort in them. That's probably more where I'd sit. And, but I, I watched people, you know, who sang the same songs every week in church, uh, like often, and seeing like tears streaming down some of their faces because they're 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 singing songs about uh, a world where things aren't fair, but but there is in their minds there is this this divinity that cares about them and thinks that they're valuable and is looking out for them. And mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. as well as everybody else how poisonous that can get, and it can get ab- and does often get abused by clergy who then turn around and go, yeah, 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 he does want to look after you, but you need to give us all your money first and then he'll give you stuff. Like it gets really dark and really ugly. But just on the, just on the level of someone coming to those traditions or rituals, it, it can be incredibly comforting. And I mean, there's, there's secular versions of it. I mean, how many people are doing like, TM like meditation stuff oh, sure. daily because they find comfort in that. Like there's, there's a thousand versions of it, secular and religious, but I think, yeah, just carving out those spaces to connect with yourself or connect with things that are, you feel are beyond you trying to find purpose and meaning in your own life. And then hopefully some inspiration for the things that you make. Like that's, that's where ritual I think can be mm-hmm. really powerful. Well, it's, it's another thing you talk about in the book, isn't it? It's bringing order to chaos. Ritual brings order, right? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, we've always done it. We've, since the dawn of time, we've done it. Like we, we've, we worked out, um, there's this, there's this great series actually, um, uh, like a lecture series um, by Jordan Peterson, who I know is a controversial figure, but as a psychologist, he goes in and he he does this biblical series where he he pulls out the first uh, section of the Bible, basically goes through the first few chapters of Genesis and talks about what could these things mean if they're myths about us sort of coming online with consciousness as human beings. And one of the things he says is, you know, there's this story of Cain and Abel and how how they both offer sacrifices to God and one is accepted and one isn't. And he sort of pulls it apart and goes, well, what's this story about? And it's like his suggestion is maybe it's about when we as human beings worked out that sacrifice is important, that if I delay gratification on something that I want today, it will pay off for better things down the road. And the sooner we learn that as human beings, the better. That's the self-discipline thing. Hmm. And if we do it right, we bargain with the divine or, or bargain with fate or bargain with whatever we can't understand to give us better things down the road. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's saving uh, a portion of crops so you can sow new crops so that you can 
reap a better harvest next year instead of just eating everything and glutting yourself and having nothing next year. It's sacrifice today to get more tomorrow kind of idea. And I think I think that's kind of what this this um, ritual sacrifice idea is, is it's, is it's human beings going, if I set aside this little bit of time, if I make this tiny sacrifice of time today, it will pay off later. So I, I talk a lot about creating deliberate, generative mental space, empty space, because that's where we get inspiration from. So making sure you take yourself for a walk, making sure that you set aside time to be alone and just think that you take some time to write, do your morning pages, whatever your ritual is. If, you, if you're deliberate with that stuff that might cost you something because you don't feel like doing it every time, it will pay off down the road. It's sacrificing for today so that you can have more and richer things tomorrow. And that to me that's what it all comes back to. Every religion, uh, you know, or, or, or spirituality or psychology kind of teaches us the same thing. And, and you know those people in your life, like who don't know how to do that, who just live for every now and like burn themselves and, and everyone around them because it's complete selfishness. I want what I want now and I don't care what the consequences are tomorrow. Those are dangerous people to be around. You don't, they don't think about what they're doing now means tomorrow. Yeah. But the people who I think have a lot to offer are those who are self-contained, self-controlled, and understand that sacrificing something today will lead to better things tomorrow. Those are safe people to be around because they'll care about you and themselves and they won't just do what they want. They'll do what's best for later, not what's expedient for now. Right. I, lo- I love what you said earlier about carving out those spaces to connect. I think our walks that we do each morning have become invaluable to Adrian and I. They have been birthplaces of ideas. They've been resolution of conflict. They've been explorations of, of different thought process. I mean, they've run the gamut and, and we record them and, and do these little Instagram live versions of them. But even when we don't, we're talking and walking through things and or walking and talking through things, I guess, switch that. Mm. Uh, but they, they were instrumental in getting us through the pandemic. Uh, they were, mm. they, they continue to be the place where we start the day connected to one another and, and to what we have laid out for the day. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't underplay the value of ritual. And it sounds like you, between you, have this deal that you'll do it even if one of you doesn't feel like it because you know how good it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if she has something like an early meeting or something, we'll do an abbreviated version of it. We have a a few different loops and routes that we can choose from. Mm. Some are shorter, some are longer. And regardless of, of what's happening, we'll go do one together just to start that morning off with, with that ritual to, to, to kind of adhere to that daily. And it's been fantastic. I mean, there have been so many great things that have come out of it that I would, you know, I don't want to speak for Adrian, but I would, I would think she would agree that haven't been expected and wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, my little commute morning ritual fell away when I moved, Mm -hmm. but I've replaced it with uh, a reading ritual. So I, when I wake up first thing in the morning, I'll, you know, shower, get changed, tidy up and then I'll go down and I'll read for half an hour, sometimes a bit more. But that's how I'd like to start a day now, because even if I'm reading something that's got nothing to do with what I'm going to do for the day, it just, it just warms the brain up. You know, it gets you 
thinking and awake. Have a have a coffee, read a book in my little in my little bay window, and uh, that's uh, for me is 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 a really valuable. And I don't feel like doing it every day, um, or I feel anxious. No, I must get to those emails. But the minute I do that, if I rush to those emails first before doing that little ritual, I, I, I that frustration doesn't really leave the whole day. But if I start reading i just feel like i i I, my head gets into a much more uh productive but also um i'm not i'm not amplifying anxiety uh if if i do that first i'm getting a lot more sort of context and um perspective before i get to that stuff and when when i get to those emails they're less important and quicker to answer because i'm not overthinking things and i I know that's how it works that's why i have to force myself to do it because i know the payoff if I do it every time and that often when I wake up, I can't be bothered, but I just do it anyway. Right. Because I, it's sacrificing for now because I know in an hour's time, it's going to feel better because I've done that. If you do it the other way around, if you start with the emails for whatever reason, will you get to the reading or does the reading fall by the wayside if you start the other way? Yeah, no, it often doesn't because I get, I just get down rabbit holes then, you know, mm-hmm. And and that's the funny thing is I, I I will waste more time if I go to emails first and you know sometimes I do on days I, I fail at this keeping the ritual thing up so some company's approach or something like that and I'm like oh I really need to get back to that because that sounds like an interesting opportunity or something so I'll, I'll I'll rush to that and I'll start typing it out and then I go oh I'll just do another email oh and then I'll just open a tab and then I've got YouTube on the go on the side and then I'll just do something else or I'll play some music and I'm like then I'm 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 at half past ten eleven already and I'm like. Oh, I can't do it now because then it's lunch in a bit. And then after lunch, oh, you know, I really need to do that other thing. And it won't happen. I know it won't happen. Um, it's got to be first thing for me. Otherwise, it's it's very hard to stop whatever I'm doing because one thing kind of leads to another the minute you sit down at a computer. Yeah, it is that uh, ripple effect, isn't it? Where it just, yeah. you know, if that's the first stone you throw, everything else gets pushed back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I like your thing of like, you have your your social media email catch up time by the sound of it in a little block at the beginning of that day done out the way. And then you're going to go make things, which I think is, I think is a good thing. Yeah. You know, because I don't use social media the way it's supposed to be used. I, I just see if, <laughs> yeah. if people have answered, you know, uh, the, the, the reach out that I've done or, or if they've responded to, to, you know, a question or whatever it is, I, I don't spend a lot of time, especially looking at, I couldn't tell you how many likes or follows or whatever are on my own work, partially because I've decided to change how I use it. Since I put up the last piece in, in, uh, new propaganda, that 12th painting, I haven't looked at them at all. There's no reason to, because it's not changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's been a a huge, uh, you know, not burden, but it's, it's a, it's an emotional and, and creative weight that has been lifted away. And I feel like I'm better for it. Mm. And I know that's, you know, everybody's got to come to it the way they've got to come to it. But for me, I feel like I'm using, you know what, I'm back up. I'm not even going to say using. I feel like I'm engaging with social media in a healthier way than I ever have since pulling back. It's on your terms, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, you're not being dictated to by imagined expectations. You're saying, well, this is how it works for me. And that's the only way I'm going to use it. I don't care if it's quote unquote right or wrong, because who knows that stuff. It, this is how it works for me. And that's the box it stays in. I think yeah. that's, I think more people should do that. Yeah. 
I think it's healthier and I think it is more productive ultimately because you don't get caught in that shame, disappointment, uh, you know, mismanaged expectation spiral that we all find ourselves in. We all do. Yeah, exactly. You know, but if you remove at least that catalyst, I mean, there are other things that may trigger it throughout the days and weeks, but if you, if you can minimize or remove that part of it, I think you end up being more present for the work that you make because you're not thinking about being disappointed at not getting, you know, to X number of likes. And you're not thinking about, well, maybe I should take that one down and put another one up in its place because it didn't get 42 likes in the first 60 seconds. Like none of that stuff plays in anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are some of your rituals? We'd love to hear from you. You can connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sadoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. You can also email me at talkback at jeffreysadoris.com. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app to get every episode of Deep Natter, along with Process Driven and everything else I release all in one feed. And if you'd like to support the show and help others find it, please feel free to leave a review or a rating wherever you listen and share it on social media. You can also support what I do more directly by tapping the new donate button at the top right corner of my website at jeffreysidoris.com. As always, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate your time. We'll be back next week with another episode. We hope you'll join us.